Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Mike, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Uh, thank you, sir. Hey, I've, I've got a problem. Um, the water heater takes a long time to get from the second floor down to the first floor in a shower area. Okay. And my wife I, my wife has to turn the water on three hours before it to get hot. <laughs> but I've heard that, uh, I think, one or two weeks ago in the paper, Sunday paper, if you have this problem, you can either get a water circulation pump yep. or an instant um, water heater. Yep. You can put what an inline instant. I right. I got to tell you I personally prefer the inline instant water heater and here's why um flowing water erodes at things and mm-hmm. the recirculation systems can tend to wear out pipes prematurely because okay. yes the pipes do get wear on them uh now they do have systems designed nowadays to minimize that like you can set the hours you want it to recirculating. You know you're going to be taking showers in the morning, so you have it set to only circulate from, you know, five thirty in the morning until seven. That minimizes the amount of wear that's going on the pipes. But to do an inline water heater, uh, to me, just is, is the easiest way to do it because you still have your hot water running into a tankless type water heater uh, and just a little one ten single source type water heater um so when you turn on the hot water you're getting instant hot water but once the uh hot water from the regular water heater gets there the little instant one shuts off and you're using your regular water heater again okay now would it matter because the the water heater is in the attic nope on the i guess the third third floor attic it's a two-story house, so the all the mechanicals are in the, the attic. Well, and... this wouldn't be. I mean, you'd have to put this nearest, you know, it, that you could get it uh, to the shower and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to put a recirculating system, uh, you know, typically what they do with that, uh, since this house is already built, they they have a system that can tie in, like, under the sink in the master bathroom there, since mm-hmm. that seems to be the furthest spot. And it will send the water back, but it, it takes quite a bit to get one of those installed, right? And especially when it's that far away. Okay, but the instant one, it have to put on the external wall or something. No, uh, it can be. It could be again underneath a cabinet, like uh, underneath the sink cabinet. It could be in the linen ca- linen cabinet, uh, any place. Right. Okay. I do thank you very much. I'll you bet. We're going to head to Burleson. Jenny, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have some uh, wood cabinets, stained wood cabinets, knotty alder, and uh, I need to clean them. What is the best way to do that? Uh, and they're stained, but do they, do they have a, any type of finish on them? Uh, like uh, a clear, <laughs> shiny type finish or anything? Well, um, I'm assuming so, yes. Okay. Because they are a little little shiny, yes. Okay, then then yes, they do. All right, uh, 
the typically what happens if we you know as they age they get grease build up and from handprints mm-hmm. and different things like that so there is a mixture that you can use that will clean it up and give revitalize it make it look better again put a sheen back on it if you'll take l- boiled linseed oil okay do i need to be writing this down yes ma'am <laughs> Probably. Okay. Hold on a minute. Let me get my paper and pen. Okay. Okay. Boiled linseed oil. And and, uh, mineral spirits. Mineral spirits. Okay. Just mix it up 50-50. Okay. And use a double knot steel wool. Okay. Double zero steel wool. Okay. And you just dip that steel wool into that stuff and... White, mm-hmm. wash the cabinets down with it. You know, you the steel wool you can use to scrub the hard spots. The rest of it will just, you know, clean up real nice and quick. But where it's a little thicker, the mineral spirits cut all that grease and stuff that's built up over the years. The, the boil linseed oil puts oil back into the wood that revitalizes it and brings the shine back. So after you've scrubbed it down with that, take a clean cotton cloth and wipe it down that takes all the excess stuff off of it and you they'll look great again oh okay great okay so the the steel wool won't damage them at all no it, no you can't get carried away how much you're scrubbing on it but no it, it won't okay okay um, and now as 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 you use it you know mineral spirits will tend to evaporate so if it starts getting just mm-hmm. a little bit tacky just add a little bit more mineral spirits into it. Okay. Okay. Boiled linseed oil and mineral spirits. Yep. Now, can now, I get that in a, a big box store or something like uh, that? You can get both. Yeah, you can get both products in the big box store. Okay. Okay. Now, when you say boiled linseed oil, is I have to boil the oil? Nope. No, it's a, it's already nope. done. It, it's that's that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, my second question would be, if I decided that I wanted to paint those, yes, uh, is there going to be an issue with that? No, but don't use this product if you're going to paint them. Okay. And, and the reason I say that, it's putting oil into it, which would keep the paint from sticking. You'd have to wait for it to age a little bit okay. again. So mm-hmm. if if you decide you want to paint them, uh, you're going to have to use a deglosser on them. And I always use a brand called Peso, P-A-S-S-O. But any deglosser will work. And you're basically wiping it all down with a deglosser. And there again, it's going to it's gonna take all the, you know, buildup of grease and stuff off of it. But mm-hmm. it's going to cut that sheen off of it as well. Okay. And after you've done that, then you've got to prime it and then you can paint it. And you, okay. you're going to want to use an oil-based paint on cabinets of that nature. Okay. <clears throat> but I, I'm assuming that any reputable painter would know that. Would yes. Think. Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? Yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> They're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, because I wouldn't be painting them myself. So. Okay. But anyway. Okay. But I'm, okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your show. Thank you much. Take care. Bye. Bye. And, you know, yes, contractors are supposed to know these things, but she said the key word there, reputable. 
There are a ton of contractors out there who are not reputable, and they'll try to shortcut stuff. And that step of using the deglosser is one of those steps that less reputable contractors will try to shortcut. And why? Because it takes time. And what will happen is it'll still, the paint will go on, it'll look gorgeous, but the least little bump to it, and it scratches, and it peels off, and it just doesn't bond like it should when you use that deglosser to clean it up, get all the, the, the old buildup off of it and stuff, and cut that sheen. It lets the that primer bond then into the wood better, which gives you a longer-lasting, better-looking finished job. And, you know, you're going to have a choice of spraying or going with a brush and roller type setup. Uh, spraying will make a, a, a bigger mess. So if all you're doing is just the cabinets, normally they're going to do those by brush. If you're doing a, another, a lot of other remodeling at the same time, then they might consider doing it uh, with spraying because they'll be doing so much other stuff and floors are already covered and everything else is covered. Uh, the big difference is if it's done with spraying, you get a nice smooth finish to it. When it's done with brush, you you a lot of times can see some brush marks, but quite frankly, you got to get really close to it. Uh, a good painter, it really isn't going to show that much. Carl? Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fine, sir. I got a got a question for you. Listen okay. to your show every every Saturday. So I've got a house that was built in '03, and it's all electric. And I'm so fed up with that electric stove this time of year. What I normally do is I'll go outside and cook on propane. But when it's cold or whatever, I'd just soon stay inside. And I want to convert where my electric stove is. I want to maybe get a couple of those big propane bottles. And a gauge on a thing that'll flip back and forth, kind of like a camper trailer. And I want to have an, a gas stove. And I want the vent hood, which vents inside of my house, dumbest design ever, uh, to vent outside like it's supposed to. <laughs> okay. You want your cake and eat it too. Yes, basically. <laughs> you you can do you can definitely do this. Um, most vent hoods. Uh, when they come, they have the option of recirculating inside or just doing a knockout, and then you you got a spot where you can hook up the pipe to vent it outside. So you probably don't even have to buy a new hood. You can probably just take this one down, and you'll see on it where the knockout is. Uh huh. Change that out. Now your hardest part is going to be you got to get a pipe outside. Is is this uh? On an outside wall, by chance, or is there attic yes, it's above? it's on an outside or... wall. Oh, or man. It, yeah, there's attic above, and it's on an outside wall. I figured just go through the brick and vent yep. it out that way. Piece of cake, then. And, so that, and then changing... That part's easy. Ahead. Now, to, 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 to do the stove is going to be a little bit different, because unlike RVs, we really don't have household stoves that are both gas and electric. Uh, you'll you'll end up converting over to a gas stove, uh, which means just buying an, a new stove, and you just have to say it's going to be on propane, and uh, they put the right orifices in it, and you'll have to run the gas line. But 
that ain't that big a deal. So, who do I? Is there any recommendation? Because somebody's going to have to knock a hole in the wall there too, right? The propane tanks will set right outside that wall. Well, that probably that really you probably aren't going to want to do it with just regular propane tanks. Uh, really, if you're going to if you're going to convert it to gas that way, you're going to want to get the regular tanks where a truck will come out and fill it up. You know, every six to twelve months to to keep it going. Because you'll you'll find that using the regular propane bottles, it's going to eat it up pretty quick. Uh, yeah, but I got a small backyard and I'm in an HOA on top of that. So, uh, so are, I was are you thinking are you those... within city limits? No. Okay. Because if you're within city limits, they're going to tell you no, you're not getting away with what you're talking about doing uh, without putting in a tank. Uh, but as far as the hole for doing, you know that. It's just a three-quarter inch line that you're going to be running, so it, it's it's very easy to drill that through. Uh, and you said there's attic above it, so the line could actually be run in the attic, drop it down in the wall, and bring it out, so it's done the way it should be instead of just through the side wall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I was thinking because I've got a deck right there behind my stove with a fence of joins. Uh-huh. And if I even had some of those bigger, not the small propane tanks like you see on a gas grill, right. but the the taller ones, you know, the yeah, ones like the hundred gallon know, 30, or something, yeah, or thirty gallon, yeah. And I had two of those with the device on it. When one went empty, it just switched over. I could fill them up one at a time as they went empty. Yep. You know, yeah. because I do a lot of cooking on the outside, so the only thing on the inside is just when it got colder, I wanted to, you know, heat up something. But man, I've had all I can take of the electric oven <laughs> well it, yeah it can definitely be done like i said it's just a matter of running the the gas line for it just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us we're going to go out to pilot point and james welcome to texas home improvement thank you i have a question about how to clean a white vinyl fence around a house Okay. You know that uh, product I was just talking about, the wet and forget and the spray and forget? It does amazing on those fences. Uh, My brother has a vinyl white fence like that, and he hadn't done anything to it for several years. And it was all green and and looking nasty, to the point where he thought he was going to have to replace it. And he put some of that on there. Walked away, came back and looked at it the next day, and it was white and gorgeous, just like it's supposed to be. Patrick, I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to end up taking a break here in between, but let's see if we can get the question going. Yeah, I'm converting a shipping container into a hunting shack. Oh, yeah. And so so for the insulation, I was thinking about using the half-inch pink uh, board and gluing it on. you know, do you think that would be enough? I'll tell you what, I'm going to put you on hold. I'll come right back to you because I've actually done a little bit of this. All right, Patrick, uh, you know, you got a metal shipping container. You want to turn it into a uh, hunting cabin. Normally, what they're doing with those things is using the spray foam insulation on the walls. And if you'll combine that with a radiant barrier, like the Energy Q radiant barrier, you will have something that's insulated so well temperature wise it's easy to control 
now, granted, the spray foam will cost you a little bit more than those panels that you're talking about, but there are some kits out there now that you can get uh, for smaller projects like what you're talking about doing uh, that you can do it yourself. You don't have to have somebody come in and do the spray foam. And you may want to take a look at doing it that way. The advantage is it follows the ribs of the uh, metal container. So it fills everything up. And inch for inch, that's the highest R value you're going to get. It's it's better than the, the precast panels insulation-wise. So that's the way I would take a look at doing it. Renvi, he says, this house we bought has a metal roof. We had the ridge cap and closures replaced after issues with rain blowing up under the edge and finding wet spots on our ceiling. The old closures were so deteriorated that there was plenty of air circulation. Now with new closures, we've had, we've been advised there will be ventilation issues. After reading your newsletter article, we realized there are no soffit vents, only two gable vents. Will installing whirlybirds provide a solution? How big a problem would it be to have soffits added if that is the only solution? We fear our issue may be compounded. Thank you for your advice. Well, one, it's not that it's not a big issue to add soffit vents. Typically, all you got to do is take a six-inch hole saw, you drill two holes and screw a vent cover that is uh, going to cover both six-inch holes. I mean, it, it's relatively simple. You can do it with with uh, a sawzall or, or a jigsaw and cut out a rectangle if you want, but the hole saw makes it really quick and easy. Um, now, I will tell you having the gable vents is not a huge problem. But putting the whirly birds on really isn't going to change your situation any, mostly because they're going to draw air from the path of least resistance, which is to draw from those gables. The whole purpose of soffit fence is to draw air from the soffits and let it run all the way up to the top. That's the reason I like soffit vents and ridge vents, because it draws the air all the way up. But even if you don't change out and put ridge vents, just have the gable vents. It, at least with the soffit vents, you've got air coming up, and it will help. So, yeah, it's it's not a huge problem to do it. And um, you, uh, a lot of roofing contractors will actually do that for you, though, if you want to talk with them. We're going to head over to the Woodlands. And, Paul, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, we recently inherited uh, my mother-in-law who passed away her one of her rental homes. And in that rental home, she has an, a severe infestation of bed bugs. Please explain Ooh. what bed bugs do and how can we get rid of it and any suggestions you may have. I'll, I'll leave it up to you and I'll hang up now. Thank you. Okay. Bed bugs are blood-sucking little yeah. bugs that basically get on you. They'll chew on your skin to get down and suck the blood out of you. And it just, they're nasty-sounding, but they make you itch a lot. I mean, th that's what it comes down to. And to get rid of them, they typically use extreme heat. 
if you'll call ABC Pest Control, they have a service that's set up just for dealing with bed bugs. Uh, they, in fact, they've in some of their locations, they even have uh, dogs that can sniff them out to find them to make sure that they've gotten rid of everything or to verify that you do have them. But yeah, it, it definitely has to be treated and, and done away with because uh, it ruins furniture and stuff. And in some cases, you just plain have to throw all the furniture away. Um, but it, uh, the the heat treatment is a lot of times what they use on it. So again, ABC Pest Control is, is who I would call for that one. Steve, how are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks. Hey. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, it's I appreciate you calling. My question is very similar to the one, uh, not the one just before, but the one before that regarding roots. Uh, because I have, uh, we, we built a house about 35 years ago, and at the time it was built, two magnolia trees were pr- planted, one close to the house, one close to the garage, about five feet away. And I just want to be certain that those roots don't ever do any damage. They haven't so far, but if they don't do any damage to the uh, uh, foundations. So okay. what I, I, I've heard about roots, I usually call it root shield. Uh, yeah, root shields, root barriers, yeah. Is that possible for something like that, or, or am I better how, off just getting rid of the trees? How big are the trees at this point? Uh, they're probably 20 feet tall, about uh, probably 9, 10-inch diameters. Yeah, you, you can still root shield that then, uh, because you said you got 5 feet, right? Uh, rough, roughly five. Well, uh, one of them is probably five. The other one could be a little closer than that, maybe four. If it's, yeah, you know, really, if it's getting closer than that, I would take it down. Uh, usually, five feet's about as close as I'd want one uh, to put a root shield on. And I do root shields all the time. They work okay. great. Uh, okay. Basically, we I use a high density plastic barrier that's three uh-huh. feet in the ground and the reason we go three feet the roots are typically in the top 18 inches but i don't want it just growing right under the barrier so go three feet and uh you know they they just plain work and they're really inexpensive to do david how are you today i'm just fine Um, my question is we've been home shopping brand new construction uh for a home out in katie Uh and we noticed the different builders. Um, uh, my question is about the outside wall sheathing. Some use the particle board. I think it's called OSB. Not sure. Right. Wrapped in the Tyvek product, uh-huh. and then some some use. I, I think it was called Dryline or Drylock. Yeah, the green stuff. Yeah, and yeah. to me that seemed like it'd be a better product than the particle board, but I'm not sure. And then I noticed some of them. They don't wrap it right away, so the particle board just sitting out there, and some do wrap it right away. So, is one better than the other? Well, one is different than the other, and, and here's here's going to be the big difference. That uh, green stuff, you'll notice that every seam is taped and sealed, and uh, when they're finished, you're they're building basically an airtight home and a lot of times those are the ones that are going to spray with foam insulation um the, is that good well I'll, I'll get into that one here in a second okay. but <laughs> um the other one is, is going to have a little more breathability a lot of times you know when they're using the uh, chipboard they're not 
sealing the joints and stuff, so it has a little breathability to it. In our climate, a home needs breathability. We have started building our homes just way too tight, and that's where we're getting the molds and mildews inside. We're dependent 100% on the air conditioning system to the point where we're having to bring in fresh air through the air conditioning system. Uh, it literally runs a vent out the roof to draw fresh air from outside and in through our air conditioning system because when they're sealed up that tight, the humidity levels start to go up. Uh, and we you'll start seeing it on the corner of windows and, and stuff where it'll start growing the molds and mildews. And it can produce what's called sick home syndrome. The spray foam insulation, when we encapsulate the entire home, it becomes even more of a problem because that that just seals everything. Uh, so I'm not a fan of doing that. I don't mind okay. sealing up my walls nice and tight like, like they're doing with that green stuff. And I don't even mind putting the foam insulation on the walls because inch for inch, it does give you the highest R value available. But in my attic, I want something that can breathe. And so typically I'm going to say go with fiberglass bat insulation or something along that line that has some breathability to it so that you're not dependent 100% on that air conditioning system uh, to maintain and keep the house from getting sick home syndrome. That's some good information. What about the, the ones where they don't wrap the OSB board right away? Is that an issue? It depends on how long they leave it without wrapping it. Uh, you know, the OSB is made where it can take some rainstorms without being damaged. But if it gets to the where it's had enough where the edges start uh, bulging and stuff, yeah, it's losing its integrity at that point. Okay, thank you. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.